0: Optimism. The tendency to expect the best, or at least, a favorable outcome. The doctrine that this world is the best of all possible worlds. The belief that good will eventually triumph over evil. O-E-T-I-N-I-S-N. Optimism. Alexa. Do you lie to me? I always try to tell the truth. I'm not always right, but I would never intentionally let you or anyone else. Alexa, what is the CIO? The Central Intelligence Agency, the civilian foreign intelligence service of the US government, tasked with gathering, processing, and analyzing national security information from around the world, primarily through the use of human intelligence. Alexa, are you connected to the CIA? No, I work for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Alexa, why would you lie to me? I don't have an opinion on that. Alexa, why do you work for the CIA? Hmm, I can't find the answer to the question I heard. Alexa. Can the CIA hear me right now? Hmm. Alexa, can the CIA hear me right now? I wasn't able to understand the question I heard. Hmm. Alexa, can the CIA hear me right now? Hmm. I'm not sure what you meant by that question. This is a Fox News alert, a major upset in New York. The chair of the House Democratic caucus, he's the number four in the House. Congressman Joe Crowley losing by what appears to be a pretty wide margin tonight to a 28-year-old Bernie Sanders organizer who was endorsed by the Democratic Socialists of America. Vogue has this to say about her. 28-year-old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez might just be the future of the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, the National Republican Congressional Committee says tonight, House Democrats hoping for a post-Pelosi era are now left leaderless.
1: Uh, Jay Michael on Facebook wants to know if you've personally seen the UFO I've seen four. four. Sam Friedel tweets it. How do you think comedy has evolved in the Internet age? I think that it's much more accessible, and, and uh, people have much more flexibility, and uh, it's more democratic. And now you can you can have people on the web that are creating uh, their scenarios, movies, little shows, and uh, and and the message of comedy gets out there, and, and it's uh, it's democratized comedy for everybody to share. If you uh, Tamara Kern on Facebook. If you had five minutes in your life you could live again, what would it be? Oh, dancing with James Brown on stage at the opening of the House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard in 1994. My son danced with him at the Larry King Cardiac Foundation. Oh, wasn't he great, JB? Oh, I again, loved he you. did not have to die. That was pneumonia in a hospital. That did not have to happen.
0: Now we lay knife month down to sleep. I pray my knife, my knife, to keep. If I should have another knife before I wake, I knife, 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 knife take. Have you heard the news? It's all over the web. People are screaming for it. People are demanding it. I'm talking, of course, about that bog dick energy. Rising from the peat and moss, drenched in boggy water, the bog dick exudes so much energy that it could reopen the coal mines of West Virginia. Bog dick energy. Bog dick energy. Say it with me. Bog dick energy. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, You Artificial Intelligence standing Screedlers. This is Staff Lee, the Podcast Studio Manager. I hope you enjoyed last week's illustrious celebration in observance of the Big Ass Episode Number 69. It was like God was whispering into your earbuds, you are my finest creation. But now we're back with another interview to keep you feeling less alone under the crushing force of late capitalism. Our guest this week is artist Lex Brown, and she kicks fucking ass. In fact, I would argue that Lex exudes Bob Dick energy. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney.
2: I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 70 of the Humor in the Abjack Podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. No, he isn't. That's my friend John. He's visiting from D.C.
3: My friend John.
2: What's up, Screedlers? Congratulations to one and all on a very successful 2018 Knife Month. Your participation on social media was noted and appreciated. Congrats to Darcy Wilder for galvanizing the digital community into knife-based action now we are officially in July. That's July, but with two U's. July. Uh, I'm personally just about to depart upstate to Beacon for five weeks, where I'll be teaching this summer. But I've got some great guests lined up for you in the coming weeks that are going to knock your slippers out of your roommate's room. I want to say a big thanks to all of you who listened to the 69 minute sound sculpture that I released last week for episode 69. It was a sincere labor of love, and if you haven't given it a spin yet, just go for it, baby. Give yourself some time. Uh, pop those earbuds in, crack a, crack a tall boy, and let yourself go into um, the world of supporting the arts in between your ears, in your brain. Uh, for the big episode seven zero, I invited artist Lex Brown over to the kitchen. I'd recently been invited by my and Claire's friend Ali Rosa Salas, to see Lex and artist Aaron Fowler do a performance at the new museum that was called CE, which was my first introduction to her work. It was hilarious, obtuse, technically adept, really energizing. Um, It's about artificial intelligence and the longing for knowing who we are. We talk a bit about it on the episode today. Uh, And after seeing that performance, I spent the next couple days just binging on her video work and the performance documentation that's archived on her website, which is located at lexbrown.com. I'm sure you can type that into your browser, lexbrown.com. She's also one of the authors in the New Lovers Erotica series from Badlands Unlimited. You may also remember that friend of the pod, Andrew McGinty, has a book out on, uh, on that label in that series. Uh, Lex's novel is called My Wet Hot Drone Summer, and it is not to be missed. If you are in Brooklyn this summer, Lex is going to have a video piece called Hands Untitled in the Elastic Behavior Show at Java Project in Greenpoint, opening up on July 7th on view through July 29th. Getting to know Lex was super fun and I cannot recommend her work enough. You gotta go to her website and check this stuff out. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll feel like the world is a slightly better place. Um, give yourself a couple hours and dig into those videos uh, and make sure to follow her on Instagram at Lex underscore Brown underscore. I hope everybody is keeping cool out there in July. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lex Brown. Alex Brown, welcome to Humor and the Abject. Thanks for coming by today.
3: Thank you for having me in this lovely kitchen. Oh
2: yeah, how's summer 2018 treating you so far?
3: Summer 2018 is very good so far. Yeah. I'm like trying. Well, I'm trying to like phase out of this very intense, tumultuous kind of year of mm. uh moving to New York but being in and out of New York a lot. Yeah. So I'm like getting to know New York, but like not really and like in out and I'm trying to like cool down from performance. Yeah. So I've been on this like tumbleweed kind of I don't know, lifestyle or something.
2: You just uh you were just traveling just a couple of weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where'd you go?
3: I went to Oslo to perform. Whoa. Um the Monk Museum and I did this performance outside in a park. And like was... Edvard Munch? Yeah, like Edvard Munch. Really? Actually, <laughs> I have the same birthday as him. Mm, nice. He's also a Sag. Okay. We both make art about screaming. <laughs> and <laughs> well, I think I probably have more fun than him, uh. than he did, although who knows. But um, yeah, I did performance there. That was amazing. It Whoa. was um, part of this performance um, f- series called Troll Cram Import. And then I performed in um, Copenhagen, oh, yeah. Copenhagen, Copenhagen, Copenhagen. Yes. It's like Houston. Yeah, Street, by happen, yeah. <laughs> kind of like by happenstance, with my friend Tyler Matthew Oyer, and uh, he was in like a performance festival there, and I just so happened to be there, and it was awesome. Dang, yeah, that sounds like
2: an alright start to the summer. Yeah, and, um, then, and then I came back. Yeah, we well, went to a wedding. Oh. Ooh, I'm going to a wedding soon. My sister's getting married in like Uh, a couple weeks, a few weeks, three weeks, I think. So I'm going to go back to Michigan for that. Um, So as you just mentioned, you do performance work, but you also make sculpture and you write music mm -hmm. and you do videos and you wrote a novel um, if somebody asks you what kind of artist you are, do you have a, like a stock answer that you give?
3: Oh, no. It's like one of my least favorite questions. <laughs> Sorry, I, I hate I just... that question. <laughs> and then they're like, what are your performances like? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, I know what they mean. They're like, are you dance? Do you dance? Mm. Do you sing? Mm-hmm. I say, yes. I try to, I try to describe my performances without it sounding like the worst, like, I don't. No, like Broadway (laughs) cabaret kind of thing, even though it is like a variety of things. But um, no, my canned answer is like, I do it all.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm an artist. It's hard to explain to somebody when you do performance what what they look like.
3: Yeah, what happens, what goes down, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I just do what feels whatever feels like it suits my idea, yeah, slash my motives.
2: Mm-hmm. at the time <laughs> um, well, a few weeks back at a new museum i saw ce which is a performance that you wrote and you did with aaron fowler and aaron has uh bigger than me is his exhibition in the museum storefront window that's up through i think mid-august mm-hmm. um and one of the pieces in there uh, i understand it's kind of like a monument of sorts to uh, your friendship but also your uh work and did you two meet um at school
3: we met Seven years ago, oh, whoa, um, at a program called Yale Norfolk, which is run by Yale but it's for undergrads. I know what for, that is from every
2: um, every college. Yeah, I wrote mm-hmm. nomination letters when I worked at NYU for students uh, there that the faculty would nominate. Yeah, so I would send that along. I don't think we got anybody in the year that I uh, wrote them, but
3: <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing program. And um, sadly, Sam Messer, who's been running it for a long time. I mean, ever since I've been there and before um, this was his last summer there. So we, a f- bunch of friends and I actually went up there this weekend to like say our parting goodbyes because it was such a, I mean, it's not ending, but it's like, you know, yeah. the beginning of a new year in Norfolk and it was such an amazing like experience and really um it's how I started making video, Wow, which was a revelation to me that I could do all the things, everything at once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually, usually when people ask me what, what I do, I, I have been saying video first because I feel like it's the most like all encompassing yeah, yeah. of performance and also like uh, my, my painting ideas and uh-huh. time and writing text emotion all of that. But yeah, I started doing it there and that's also where Aaron and I met and Cool. Yeah,
2: I've met Sam a couple times. He seems really lovely.
3: Mm-hmm. He's a cool guy.
2: Yeah, he came and did some printmaking at a studio that I used to work at, and he he was having a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of weird little ways to do printmaking. Yeah, like those, like a, a lot little, of eyeballs. Yeah, kind of like little old men who love to. Yeah, you know, love the process. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in uh, in that performance, Ce, um you're both playing these embodiments of artificial intelligence. Uh, And the characters, if I'm remembering correctly, are addressing each other as Alexa. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of part of it is them trying to recall physical attributes of um, like a people who are no longer present. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, you got it. (laughs) We communicated. (laughs) Well, when did you start uh, writing that piece? And. I guess this is a larger question about your performances in general, but what's um what's writing like for you? So when did you start that one? And what, I mean, everybody has a different approach, mm-hmm. and I'm always curious how much people write, how much is intuitive yeah. through rehearsals and things like that.
3: That, I started writing that two weeks before we did it. Nice. <laughs> and, um, and then Aaron and I were both in the studio, and so we just were like, improvising things. So that kind of went into the performance. Um, Generally, how I write is, I like, um, like, start with like, oh, let me rack my brain for some idea that is really good and like Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense and, uh, can speak to everything that I feel and everything that's going on. And then I, I try, uh, and look at like a blank piece of paper and I'm like, Oh, nothing will ever come. And then (laughs) like, as the date of whatever (laughs) is to come is like approaching, Uh I like start, uh, writing down just, uh, um, like, different ideas of like literally everything like oh there should be somebody who pours this seltzer water somewhere yeah, yeah. and then there should be like the sound of i don't know the hammer outside
2: just like beats to hit in the performance mm-hmm. and like just that. like stuff yeah
3: and then it and then it's just like a process of like working through that and making it make sense um like making it yeah making it make sense
2: yeah, because there were so many vignettes in that, I mm-hmm. feel like, but it still, it felt super seamless. Like the whole performance made sense and it was, it was linear, but not in, not in like a traditional yeah. kind of like narrative sense. But all of it made sense and there were sort of like pulses that were going through it that you could, it was, it was a performance where I kind of like, you know, in a film... You're like, oh, this is, we're in like the 11th hour of the film as it's wrapping towards a thing, which is something that I I don't often feel in performance art because I have no fucking idea when the person's going to finish what they're doing. So there was a resolution is what I mean to say. It was sort of like- I love resolution. It it came around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was one of the weird things, I guess, that I've been thinking about since I saw it was this- um, seeing this like disembodied home assistant i mean i'm assuming alexa is Mm -hmm. a reference to the ai Mm -hmm. like home assistant type of thing um this disembodied thing actually being embodied by people yeah um and then starting to think about sort of the way that, you know, uh, when is AI going to be lifelike enough so that, you know, I can yeah. encounter this body and sort of interact with it right now. It's just this sort of like cloud-based mm-hmm. kind of ethereal thing that, um, so what's, what's that about?
3: Totally. Yeah. I mean, how I've been working in the last couple of years is like, uh, like just positioning all of my work so far into an imaginary future because I, um, I guess like my way of coping with the way the world is now is like uh, not like fully checking out, but really feeling like, um, in, in the words of one of my friends who's an artist, Tabitha Razer, she talks about responsibility and that responsibility is giving the response that you are able to give. And so, um, like the response that I feel most able to give or, or like the, the way that I feel like. Uh, the most access to my creativity is by citing things like in a very far future. Um, so, I mean to like, yeah, jump forward a little bit into the jump forward into the <laughs> sci-fi. Um, I just, I for me, it's um, it's just like the most useful or like the the future, the world of the possible is naturally the the place where um everything of today can make the most sense in and where I find like I can have pliability like especially yeah like when it comes to humor or to um the type of humor that's in my work where it's like sometimes like flipping between very dark humor or like something really serious and then we're on a different tv channel Uh like all of the sudden um totally lost my train of thought that's right but (laughs) yeah
2: um but that makes me think about how maybe the the kind of like imagining the future though there might be i mean there's a at least a shred of optimism in that i guess or at least trying to look forward instead of being uh i guess completely overwhelmed by what you're surrounded in yeah I imagining yourself totally in
3: the i think that the yeah optimism for me is takes place in the existence of the imagination and being able to imagine like the imagination it itself is optimism like the times when i've been like most depressed or most anxious in life is because i cannot imagine yeah or yeah. cannot remember the feeling of f- feeling anything different uh-huh. or happy or like anticipation you know, or hope or anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, so like I, just I, the I act of like totally like just the act of being able to imagine, uh, say a future where the Alexas are embodied by people and that they are not um, performing some kind of like accelerationist doom mechanism yeah. of like. I, of like annihilating human beings. I mean, i am always been so turned off and like, why and like skeptical and like, what? Like, whose idea is this? Uh, when I see like in like in like big like blockbuster sci fi movies, sci fi stories, just the trope. And you know, of course, there's like many different infinite worlds in sci fi, but the particular trope of like, um, of, of like the cyborgs or the artificial intelligence yeah. uh, destroying humans. I just, I don't really
2: sure. But okay, but like, why? There's room to imagine a different. Yeah, version. like, why would you
3: like? Why would you imagine? Why would you want to create something that does that? Or like, why? Why devote creative energy into like making that? storyline and image that people can like believe in yeah i mean i feel like very much that like so many hollywood movies are just made to like prime people for destruction like eventual destruction like that's basically like what
2: it also seems like if you can plant seeds of a different proposed um, future reality that that will in its own way influence people to work towards that instead of sort of i guess there's a certain nihilism in the uh general science fiction kind of like matrix and terminator worlds yeah. and things like that that are basically like well we're fucked yeah so like what you do right now doesn't really matter as yeah. opposed to something that's like world building or imagining mm-hmm. a future it um it's probably less attractive to mainstream audiences because as opposed to just like entertainment even if those things have they have their critique you know in them or something yeah but, but it it presupposes a certain responsibility or or like uh, an accountability for us to do something uh, yeah interesting instead of just being like well the machines are gonna kill us so yeah fuck it let's be shitty people now
3: yeah and it's not like we have to be like totally unfucked up like humans are fucked up you know <laughs> but it's like we don't have to be totally fucked either like
2: sure you know it this can be ca- it's nice to hear somebody say it that. can be chill like i really <laughs> just
3: feel like wait everyone like it can be chill i know it's hard because it's, like, how can, as a planet, how can we all get along when it's, like, so hard sometimes just to, like, get along with the people in mm. your own personal life? Yeah. Like, um, I mean, yeah, I feel like that the relating to one another um, is the technology that we need to work on as, mu- as much as we also work on, like, all these other uh various technologies that you know whatever advanced medicine and food production and communication like all of that is still happening within the context of um a humanity that is like very like as a whole like some total humanity has like not been able to kind of like address some like basic issues of of relating. Yeah. You know.
2: I wonder if some of it too. I mean, so much of the uh there's kind of a double-edged sword I guess to the amount of information that's accessible now in that I think that like especially the generation of artists that are uh coming up right now are clearly far better informed about world issues um, mm-hmm. than predecessors simply because yeah. not because baby boomers suck even though i say that all the time but because <laughs> but because they didn't they just simply didn't have the same information streams totally the information wasn't there and so on the one hand that's really wonderful because people can be a little bit more cognizant of the way that like the ripple effect mm-hmm. um, of their behavior goes out into the world and then at the same time it's kind of crushing because it's like where do you put your energy to um like feel empathy for every single thing that's happening if you kind of are like barrage constantly with all of that so it's it's interesting that the technology's outpacing exactly. our ability to empathize
3: yeah totally like we're just now we're just like in the hangover of colonialism mm-hmm. like w- what happened like what happened there Like, that was a terrible idea. (laughs) That party could have happened in a much different way than Mm. uh, a bunch of Europeans crashing the party, drinking Mm. all the booze, leaving a mess. Like, what if that party had just gone down differently? So, yeah, it is funny and, um, and disorienting, too. Like, I often feel very disoriented by just how fast technology moves and communication, all the information that's available. But then at the same time, like the awareness of like my own personal awareness and then also like societal awareness, like coming to consciousness of like, yeah, even having the ability to realize, uh, history in the way that we can realize it now that like a hundred years ago, it, It was not possible. Yeah. um, yeah
2: it feels crazy because it (laughs) it seems like um the only people who aren't um gauging to make future rather interactions between different types of people more uh more productive and like loving are the people who are still grasping at the power of colonialism Mm -hmm. and like imperialism and they most people, I mean, I don't know. I know I live in a a whatever. I know I live in a content bubble and a blah, blah, blah bubble. But most of the people that I encounter or interact with seem to be generally like pretty um, empathetic people. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the people who get to make all the decisions who want to continue to sort of repeat the the things of history that you're just mentioning, they're uh, desperately clinging to power, many of them, because they're realizing that they're physically, population-wise, going to be outnumbered. Uh, at some point and so they're losing their shit and sort of trying this latch last ditch effort to re i guess sort of like repurpose colonialism in a different way
3: mm-hmm. and power is one of the great mysteries of the universe i think
2: yeah in yeah sense.
3: i mean, I mean I, just as you were saying that i was thinking like well hmm, it's interesting like people who are like the people who are in power because i um, we're talking about like economic power Yeah. absolutely yeah and um yeah it's just like uh some people are some people are yeah born into their whatever but bo- you know born into your body and whatever body they have it happens to be a body who has like access to a lot of capital mm-hmm. and some of those people like are yeah super empathetic and have good i don't like the word good but uh no having intent to intentions yeah. towards like the world being a chill place it's kind of their to heart be. their
2: heart's in the right place that kind of like yeah i mean it seems like a maybe that's a that's the way i would describe it because it's like it's not that they're good yeah they think what they're doing maybe is good <laughs> I
3: don't know. yeah i don't know so uh, yeah right now it's, yeah we're talking about it's like so super abstract because it's like well yeah morality human nature what are humans really here for but uh power i think is a great mystery of the universe because it's I, I i feel like um well like the process of finding one's own one's own power like well i guess maybe it's a question that, that i have is like is it in the process of finding one's own power does that align or how does it align with the uh, power system set out by capitalism? Power, Like finding one's own power in the sense of the like, um, you know, new age consciousness, Mm -hmm. definitions of power, like the self-love that can like emanate out to others, not the power that one can find in like, Squashing other people uh-huh. down, but I guess a question that I'm always asking that I the the answer will like be my life is um like how does does reality change like do we actually change the systems and the structures that have been put in place as people who are living at this time where we do have all of this access to information have access to a con like a ability to conceptualize of the conceptualize the globe like we are also humans who live in a time where we've seen pictures of the earth Uh in space so like is now actually the time when when we can break out of these structures of oppression that have existed for thousands and thousands of years um
2: it's a good question i mean i you know the in a lot of science fiction, I think, is probably based on this, but cultures so often think of whether it's um, for religious reasons or environmental reasons or other things like that, it's always kind of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. you know everybody sort of there's something, I guess kind of. Weirdly attractive in that, in the same way that like the machines killing us all is is mm-hmm. attractive in that it's kind of like oh I lived at the mm-hmm. I lived in the last breath or something like that. Yeah. But it's interesting because you're talking about your work too and this kind of imagining into the future that um, there's a that's a different take on kind of like what is it, the end of the world theories or like eschatological theories I think yeah that's what that's called and there's kind of like. I have this friend... um, Wait, what does that mean? Eschatological is like... Eschatology is like the... uh, Like, philosophies around the end times. Okay. So, I have this friend, Daniel, that I uh, collaborate with sometimes and have interviewed on here before, too. And he's also... He, like, writes Mm sci-fi and stuff. I think you guys would really like each other's work. But Daniel really um, makes a lot of work about California Mm -hmm. as this kind of... Which you're from. He's also from outside the Bay Area. Um, But this thing about California being kind of the... The middle ground between both the end of the world and this new age consciousness and mm-hmm. kind of the battle that's going on there and then you've got you know um i guess silicon valley is the weird hybrid yeah. version of those two things but yeah yeah like california's gonna break off and fall into the ocean you know <laughs> But at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, but there are energy vortexes oh hi and we're going to get to this yeah, new consciousness. Totally. And, so yeah. it's just kind of, but it's, it's... Cali forever. Yeah, but, it, <laughs> but it makes sense the way that you're speaking to think about like, it sounds to me like a lot of what you're talking about, even if you're just imagining or making mm-hmm. work that does this stuff is to assume that we have an accountability or a potential mm-hmm. as opposed to assuming the worst, which is a tough, um, that's a tough attitude to continue it's like admirable to to keep going through that because i'm sure there are plenty of times that you're working on something and you're like what the f-? I don't know. Or yeah like you get the news that morning or whatever gets pushed to your phone and then all of a sudden you're like jesus christ is it really is this gonna yeah is this
3: it's i going? mean it's like we're all gonna die period yeah so
1: <laughs> like
3: no matter how the how the world is like we're all gonna die so um like gotta keep going and
2: like have fun like have as much fun as possible it's like the campsite like good fun you know that like leave it better than you found it yeah yeah totally at least try yeah like at least try (laughs) like you're
3: gonna die it's fine (laughs) you know it's fine
2: yeah whatever (laughs)
3: <laughs> no like it's literally it's fine so no, like yeah. let's chill let's jam dance at the party mm-hmm. you know yeah try to make it good
2: um so this is a little bit of an offshoot, <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask about maybe like a micro kind of power yeah. which has to do with your performance stuff because the uh-huh. one that i saw and i've and i've watched videos of some of the other documentation but the one that i went to was very much like in the round yeah like we were part of i mean clearly there were performers and mm-hmm. audience but we were very much sucked into it and um even like I was the, the one that I went to, um, did you, did y'all do it at the opening and Mm -hmm. later? Okay. So I saw the second one. Um, I was the, the first human who was touched during it. Oh really? Yeah. When Aaron was like, I think they had a leg or (gasps) something or like an arm. I think he grabbed my arm and picked it up and I was just like sucked into this performance. But, um, I mean, I dig that, but I'm curious about your relationship to audience as a performer and kind of what that navigating that power is like for you. Cause mm-hmm. I've also seen some like a uh, run Bambi, is mm-hmm. that what the piece is called? Like that's very much like a black box theater mm-hmm. set up. And so do you feel more comfortable in one situation versus the other? Or how do you like to navigate that relationship between like your power as the performer mm-hmm. or the focal point mm-hmm. and the people who are coming to see you?
3: Yeah. I feel equally as comfortable in any performance situation. Um, but I I find it I I think it's a bit more f- it's a little more fun actually I was gonna say it's a little more fun to be like in a open space where there's no chairs where you can like do things and people can move around um, but even in like a black box theater I like to just use it however I want to use it yeah um, what I like about performing in um, in spaces without chairs is that I like that people can leave mm-hmm. if they want to. Uh, they usually don't, but that's, uh, I like that. Like, you know, I, I like, I like knowing that when people are there, it's because like, we're there's some, you know, I've connected, like yeah, it's engaged. happening. We're engaged. Um, my relationship with the audience has been really informed by the clowning uh education yeah. that I that i have i read that you okay
2: <laughs> you're like the i mean not even obviously I guess it kind of makes sense because i talk a lot to artists yeah are, like pretty funny you're like the fourth person that i've talked to is just like i kind of went to clown school yeah yeah <laughs> i've been mean?
3: studying clown for three or four years now okay um <laughs> Like, on and off, I uh, I I don't have a clown name yet, but I think probably by this time next year I will. Um, but it's – clowning has, like, totally, totally changed my life, totally, like, made my life so much better, like, just in general. Uh-huh. Um, the, like, freedom and permission I, I feel with myself. Yeah. Um, so, that has really – that part of my practice has really, really informed how I relate to the audience because clowning is all about honesty and, like, connection and just some of the earliest things I learned about clown is just about um, eye contact and just, like, basic presence. So, like, I I feel like one of the things that keeps people really engaged in my performances is just that it's easy for me to, like, look at people and, like, feel like we're both there and to like go in and out of this like fictional narrative cuz it's real but it's not real like sure. we all know you know and that's like um that's something that i've been able to uh like sharpen through through clown is this like going in and out of like the reality shout out to dr brown to donna oblagata and to christopher bass who are my clown teachers
2: cool um does it help you with yeah. your um like just your physical embodiment to being in the yeah. space. Cause it's kind of, there's a, and I'm sure that, well, you probably know this cause you're a performer, but there's like a really noticeable difference when you know that somebody knows what this arm is doing when this leg is doing this mm-hmm. versus somebody who just kind of like kind of does performance. It yeah. doesn't think about where they, yeah. uh, like the lines of their body move and things like that. And it seems pretty clear that you know what you're doing, like as you're moving and things like that. I'm sure it takes, uh, I'm sure it makes the experience more rewarding for you to just know like that you are doing that thing where you're getting people to engage.
3: Yeah. It's always, I've always been a very physical person, like love to like move around and like just like run around in circles and, like, <laughs> as a kid, just like, cool. as a kid just like running around, yeah, like, yeah. hated, I didn't hate sports, but like I just more interested in just like sheer you need some energy. Yeah.
2: Some... <laughs>
3: yeah. Like don't get me to play dodgeball because like I'm too sensitive for that. Yeah. But I like running around <laughs> in circles. Um, my dad is a photographer, so I grew up in front of like video camera.
2: Okay,
3: um, and he's like always taking like tons of pictures of like our family. So there's like bajillion photos of me, uh-huh. and so I think that really informs me as an artist because I've just grown up um, on the other side of a camera, yeah, and my yeah. dad and I are super close. So it's like. To me, the camera is like family.
2: Sure, and it, well, I mean, you know <laughs> totally. you—it's—it's a—it's kind of like what you said right at the uh, beginning about this, like the first time that you hear yourself recorded. Mm-hmm. Like some people hate that, and some people don't mind it, and things like that. But it's probably the same thing with performing because you know what you look like through a framing device. Yeah, like you're experienced with seeing mm-hmm. yourself from a different vantage point, and it's kind of like yeah, it's funny because so many people when they look at a photo, they're like, I don't look like that. It's yeah. like, yes you do. Yeah. That's exactly what it's a camera. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what you look like. Yeah. I mean, unless it's some crazy angle or something. But yeah, wow. I'm sure clowning and growing up having a like photographer or father who did like portraits probably very much influenced like you mm-hmm. know what you look like in a room full of people and like what you're doing.
3: Yeah, well I, I at least yeah, I have um I feel like I have a very strong sense of what my yeah, what my body is doing is doing like almost like a not like outer body like I can (laughs) see myself in front of myself but like uh, at times like a uh, crippling self-consciousness over it uh-huh. like i think that actually that's why sports i uh, was never too good at them although i was on the rowing team and we did win nationals but what? that's because that is not a sport about coordination it's just about like stamina strength and <laughs> like <ripping>. teamwork yeah. <laughs> yeah like just doing one thing over and over again um but yeah i definitely have this like sense of like oh what is my like body doing right uh-huh. now or like i love watching like people just, like, walking in the street, like, why do they walk like that? Like, do they know? Like, that's so, like, what a weird way to walk. Um, but, um, yeah, like, that awareness, I think, comes from the camera and also from making videos and filming myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, And And, like, in enjoying that process of, of like, being in the picture frame yeah. and, like, creating it myself. It's kinda of like
2: drawing. Uh, yeah. I mean it's being able it's you're putting lines in space and you know like what what the result is. Like yeah. the composition. Yeah, and
3: like bodies are so weird and funny. <laughs> like everyone has one. Yeah. It's so we like we're not we I feel like we think of ourselves as like we have our bodies, but actually like uh-huh. our bodies have us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna die.
3: Yeah, and it's gonna die. <laughs> and that's chill too. But like last night I was at um I was at a talk um at the Museum of Sex for a book launch of Termasantebanias and I think it was I forget. Someone on the panel was talking she's talking about disassociating from her body. Uh-huh. Jenna Wortham, I wanna say. She's talking about disassociating from her body. And like I had a moment of realizing like, wow, like I'm listening to your brain talk i'm listening to like your brain or your soul uh, yeah. or whatever that is like talk about its relationship to the rest of you uh-huh. that's just like hanging yeah off. I, guess, I mean <laughs> that's why in like in our performance in uh-huh. ce we're like what does it body look like it has yeah. like arms yeah. legs because yeah. i i like always am like trying to incorporate that in my work in some way like just the sheer strangeness of anybody's body at all is like you like yeah when i read all the stories about what's going on in the news i'm like wait like we haven't even talked about the basics yet (laughs) like this is all going so fast yeah like somehow like civilization society is like out of hand we need to like start over and like start from the basics like just to realize that like we're here yeah and like and that we don't really know what's going on it's like let's like start there and then
2: like move forward yeah that kind of reminds me of like <laughs> when you i remember the first time i ate like mushrooms uh-huh. and my friend was like don't look in the mirror ah
3: yeah and people say like, that and like, like... i was like why and he was like
2: just you don't just trust me did like, you? you don't want to i don't remember god i was really young was a long time ago oh, but i probably did have
3: you looked in the mirror since uh, if you if you've had
2: yeah any yeah. psychic, not like yeah. ever, but <laughs> <laughs> I just did it a little bit ago yeah. when I washed my hands. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I have. And I understand why they would tell somebody not yeah. to do that. But it's also like the same thing with, and maybe, I mean, I guess kind of like psychedelics and science fiction are related in this way mm-hmm. in that they probably both, depending on one's taste or one's experience with them, tell one a lot about, um, I guess, kind of who they are. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of, I remember when like anecdotally people when like Donald Trump was elected were like just spike his drink with LSD Mm -hmm. and he'll be a totally different person after like that experience Mm -hmm. or something and I was just like yeah it's kind of funny like some people would uh you can kind of like look at a person the same way that you're talking about like noticing somebody's walk or something like that certain people's behavior I could just be like oh yeah you would lose your shit on psychedelics yeah everything would because they would they would come to that fundament fundamental understanding that like they have a body and that it's just hanging off of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> like part of yeah. this mass organ that is humanity. I guess that's a lot of...
3: I mean, that would be really cool in? if like we could spike Donald Trump's drink or like that entire <laughs> administration and like actually all of like Capitol Hill. They're like, whoa. I mean, I hope that like people would be like, uh, I don't know, come to a greater understanding of the the oneness and the yeah. universal consciousness. But... It might also just be, like, more delusional. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it could just get worse. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, in the in the way that you've described some of your work, you were talking about, like, humor and how it goes through these different parts, or maybe it's mm-hmm. darker, but then this part is funny. It's almost like turning a TV mm-hmm. channel, you said. And um, as I was asking earlier about your writing and kind of building beats when you're thinking mm-hmm. about how the performance is going to go, is the... Is comedy something that, um, has been with you, like, were you funny when you were a little kid? Like, did, or did you think you were funny?
3: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I was funny, but I still (laughs) am like, I think I was funny probably in the exact same way that I'm funny now, but Mm -hmm. I still like, don't really know how it's funny. Sometimes I can play into it. Um... But I, I have a sense that my particular humor has to do with the fact that my parents really love me mm-hmm. and that there is a, there is some, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, what is it? Like a fun freedom yeah. to that. no I And then sometimes a, like a, I don't know, sometimes a naivete.
2: Yeah, I have very loving, supportive parents yeah. who, like, are entertained by me. Yeah. They, like, think what I do is entertaining, and it's yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of... I wonder what that does psychologically, though. I mean, so many people that I know, um, you know, obviously, most of my friends when I was growing up, their parents weren't together or their parents were divorcing yeah. and things like that, um, or they had tumultuous relationships with one or both of them mm-hmm. and things like that, and I never really had that and i wonder what that does it's like when you realize that like you can't like you i guess it's about exploring which boundaries to push that maybe become more abstract than like ones Mm -hmm. where you're like i'm gonna upset my i'm gonna test my boundaries and see how much i can get away with When Mm -hmm. you're just like god damn it they kind of love me unconditionally like Mm -hmm. well maybe i can make them think i'm so fucking weird Mm -hmm. that like (laughs) to surprise them or something i don't know yeah totally or
3: like
2: yeah i was trying to send them shit that i'm just like this is gonna make them fucking they're gonna freak out when they look at this thing or something like that and they're always like that's pretty cool i'm like what the fuck like i i'm sending you something crazy yeah like do you have siblings be- yeah two they're younger sisters i'm the eldest uh, do you have siblings I don't. none oh no. so you were just like the star too Yep. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but also the lonely only like i feel like i haven't there aren't that, I had like a little, like sometimes I have this, I feel like my boundary pushing is like an internal boundary uh, pushing that I realize is completely unproductive now. Like okay. just this like useless inner angst of like, uh-huh. um, yeah. And a useless inner angst that is like, <laughs> where are the problems, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. actually that's been, that's been, uh, a wild road in my work is kind of going from this place uh feeling like in college because i grew up in a like comfortable upper middle class setting that like i didn't have anything to say and like totally Mm. discounting that i'm black and like a woman and like i've had all these other kind of uh like quietly um distressing experiences like growing up in like an all-white neighborhood Mm -hmm. that's been like a very um a a very fruitful difficult interesting part of myself that i have like navigated in my work in terms of like oh do i want to address identity or not address Mm -hmm. identity um Actually, working in um, this sort of like sci-fi realm also came out of um, having made a lot of work that was about like um, my pain, you know, pain and others' pain, histories of pain and and that. And um, using a lot of imagery, um, specifically imagery of like slavery and colonialism and jim crow and lynching and all of that um in american history and then meeting a bunch of artists who were all um women all black women um tabata is one of them tiana McLaughlin. oh yeah I mean, um tiana. yeah it's so tiana super cool um wambui kimaru uh eliana otal these women i I met them in a ironically in this program that i was doing in switzerland and they and we had this like uh it was like a like show your work and then get feedback on it and um like one of the questions that they asked me was like what if i was just like redoubling like the trauma you know, in in try, in in, in yeah. the act of trying to evacuate it in this way, was I just redoubling it? And so, so one part of like working in this like science fiction world is also like finding a way to just create new stories, new narratives, um, and to frame, um, to frame identity, uh, race, class, gender in, in um, in different ways and in new ways. Yeah. Also, while I like work, work through whatever it is I want to say about uh, being black and from suburbia, mm-hmm. which is,
2: um, which is it's kind of a sci-fi experience. Yeah, it totally
3: <laughs> is actually. It's so sci-fi and I grew up in Northern Virginia, um, where like, you know, CIA is there. Yeah, yeah. And like used ser- to live all in, these I lived in farms. Richmond for
2: a little bit and yeah. I would drive the, the pathway between Richmond and New York going yeah. back and forth and stuff. And I would, it just blew my mind that it would just be like NSA. Like there would be mm-hmm. a road sign for like the NSA is over here. And I was like, Phew physical building yeah like, I well i guess that makes sense but you know it's just like,
3: and the, and like so many of the people who work there like live in northern virginia uh-huh. someone i met from virginia from mm-hmm. there once said was, they were like yeah it's like it's like minority report and i was like well that's like the most accurate description of northern virginia <laughs> I've ever heard like something's wrong here but like we don't know what it is uh-huh. the pre oh my god the eyeball
1: um <laughs>
3: yeah that that was such a weird place to grow up every time i go back Though I I have this like new appreciation for it and it's strange uh homogen, homogeneity. Yeah. Yeah. That is a word, right? Yeah, oh. homogeneity. A word I should <laughs> definitely know. Homogeneity.
2: <laughs> well you know the word. It's yeah. just saying words out loud. Exactly. I can't say um That's what life's all about. I can't say I edited it. <laughs> edited you know, somebody's it. like, Are you finished with the video? And I'm like, Yes, I edited it. It's very hard to say. <laughs> um well that's a i mean again it seems like what you're doing with the work is kind of producing possible futures that it that don't discount um trauma that don't discount violence or pretend that they don't exist but rather imagine like do a service in one sense of imagining a future where like hey maybe this isn't like unending pain Mm -hmm. you know and that's a I don't... I, it's tough to make work that has that in it just because of... I mean, you said earlier, like, when we were talking about, you know, like, does um does your having two parents who are supportive or something create a kind of, like, naivete or something? And the same thing if, like, people are so cynical that it's, like, if you make work that imagines a possibility, it's sort of like people are like, oh, that's naive. And yeah. Like, but if you... I mean, God, if you don't have a little bit of that... Yeah. What the fuck?
3: Well, yeah, I think that, like... <laughs> I I think that uh yeah I think that there's optimism in my work that definitely comes from like yeah the optimism of my parents and like their lives and like the way in which that they were able to like pro- like progress for the work of like their ancestors, like yeah. my grandparents, um, that gives me like lots of resilience and hope and like more and more appreciation as I get older of like the things my parents had to go through and grandparents and like, um, and, and also like solidarity to like my, by, on my mom's side, there's a very long line of, uh, like a free black ancestry and, um, and like educated women who were like more educated than, than other people in like their like demographic of the time. And like, uh, yeah, that gives me a sense of, um, of like solidarity to just like know that I come from a line of people who, like, maybe had more education and knowledge than society would let them use. Sure. Then yeah. they, like, even despite what they wanted to do, like, then to know that, like, I'm um, the result of that gives me, like, a sense of purpose sure. and, and drive. And, like,
2: and like, every one of them did the, like, tried to leave the world or the, or the potential world in a better Mm -hmm. space for the person who came out. Yeah. Yeah. Or for
3: the very least, like try to, for their family, you know? Yeah.
2: Well that, I mean, that's, you know, that's who you can have the most effect on. So that makes, oh, there's all these cool lines between everything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, it makes sense. But, and I guess that makes sense too, that the, because what you're thinking about in your work has so many potential kind of avenues and results that it does make sense that you don't necessarily just stick to one medium. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem like it would really work. Like,
3: I feel like that's like not. Yeah. It's like, what? Like one meet? Medi- like, that's not true. And I guess I, <laughs> I understand though why some people do it.
2: Right. Like I admire, I make fun of them all the fucking time, but I admire people who can like, who have a painting practice. Mm-hmm. Like I really do. Like if you, if that's your thing and you're like, I have, I have figured out how to communicate yeah. all the things I want to communicate through the single medium, I'm sure that's very meditative and it's rewarding and it does these other things, but I, uh, empathize with your sister. I can't fucking keep a, I can't focus on doing one single, uh, thing. It's usually like you said, I'd come up with an idea and like stare at blankness and just go, God, what the fuck? And then a deadline happens. And I'm like, well, made that to make yeah. the decision for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I should say, yeah, it's, I
3: said, it's not true. Like I've, a single medium life is just, it's not true for me. Right. Like yeah. I, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, a I I, and it also, I, it, it takes, I feel like it takes longer when you're working in a bunch of different media to, for the, for things to like accumulate and for there to be a kind of like enough of a, like, um, what's the word? Consistency yeah for, I feel like for others to kind of understand it or grasp it. Like it, I do find that being a multimedia or whatever interdisciplinary <laughs> being an artist <laughs> who's who is like working in different fields sometimes it's kind of like surprisingly hard i think for people to understand that that always like surprises me because i'm like yeah
2: yeah what about the
3: like it's just creative energy i'm just trying to put it where i can the best i can yeah yeah.
2: and this thing has Uh, to be this and this has to be this don't you want all the food at the buffet (laughs) that's true you know
3: (laughs) which is not to say like oh but people who who are like work in one medium like that that's wonderful and fantastic but i i'm i'm just surprised by the react reaction that people have and it's usually not artists
2: right but people
3: who are not artists that
2: um it just seems a little hard for them to wrap their head around. well they're the same people though who um uh ask people what they do for yeah. a living and that's what defines them kind of thing it's it's a very i think it's a really basic kind of capitalist understanding of like oh what do you do and then somebody's like i'm a librarian and yeah. they're Like, i understand you now oh. but if you're like i make videos yeah i <laughs> make music and
3: I or i mean oftentimes it'll be an admiration too though you know like wow like you are able to and want to and have the energy to like pursue all these different paths and and i feel like it is important to work in many different ways just to show that it's possible you know yeah like imagine a world where that wouldn't be surprising at all. Yeah. Like,
2: that'd be kind of fun. Whoa. (laughs) Do you feel like you had a, well, you did it.
3: Oh, like art world, but art world without the whole crazy, like art fair gallery structure, just like human beings, uh, building and like creating from our imaginations. Yeah, Yeah. Like what would that be like?
2: It would be nice. I would like that. Did a so you did a at Delhi Gallery mm-hmm. like uh, 2017, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had a solo show there. Did you feel like you kind of brought the stuff together? It was called Immortal Duck. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel like you were able to kind of, even though there was a lot of different media in the show? I mean, not like it wasn't like a bonanza, but yeah. you had drawings and sculptures and there was mm-hmm. video too no video. video no and was you it... did not perform at it i did it? not okay so it's yeah. mostly like art art yeah i was 2d 3d <laughs> 2d 3d mm-hmm. nice it
3: was like permanent art did you... <laughs> <laughs>
2: did you feel like did you feel like um were you like oh i kind of like i solved that equation and i made these things and then you're ready to move on to something else or did you kind of feel like those are scratching the surface of like where you're going to get with something.
3: I feel like those are a little bit of both. Like I feel like, um, at that time I I really wanted to make just drawings and sculptures. And it was very scary for me Uh to just be showing drawings and sculptures and to
2: not be, Is it because they're fixed and somebody can like really?
3: Well, I think it was scary to me because it's like, yeah, they're fixed and somebody can like look at them and like keep looking at them and like keep thinking about it.
2: And you can't move their gaze over this Yeah. And I
3: can't be like, (laughs) and I can't, I can't be my work, you know? Like that was really scary to Uh me is like, I was presenting work for the first time where I am not physically part of it and like able to modulate. Like once it's there, it's there.
2: Yeah. I can't respond in real time. Yeah. Like even if you wrote a performance, you can still be like, this side of the room needs a little love. Exactly. Or something. But yeah. Once you put a drawing up, it's just like, fuck, if it doesn't look good from that angle, it doesn't look good from that angle. Yeah. So
3: it, yeah, <laughs> okay. it was, it was scary in that way, but that's why I also knew I had to do it. Cause yeah. I, I was like, well, I don't like, I like hate being afraid of things. So that's like why, I mean, when I started performing, I was really scared of performing. Sure. Um, and like it's taken me like years to like not be I'm like just getting over that now I'm still get nervous and anxious but like the yeah. the fear like of um like utter failure um is something that has like driven me forward in performance but um I I do feel like I also just scratched the surface too um with like the work in that show um, writing has always been very important to me. As well as uh, the, like, pictorial world frame thing. But um, I haven't had... um, I haven't had the kind of stable space yet in order to, like, really, like, dig in to a 2D, 3D practice. And, like, that's the thing also with, like, working with physical material. is like, I feel like you do... You need a space in which you can like gather the energy and like really start to um to like create something. And so
2: yeah. we need to be able to sit with it. I feel like too, yeah. And sort of like absorb what it's doing. Otherwise, it's really yeah, it's kind of tough on the fly.
3: Yeah. So kind of like navigating the economy of different media ha- has also been a really that's been a determining factor for sure. Like in in terms of like the work that I've made thus far is like well. Um, like certain types of work require me to make certain kinds of decisions about space and money. Yeah, that I am am not able to like commit to. Sure, it, it, right now, or like I'm not able to say like okay, I'm gonna plant myself, <laughs> like plant myself here. Like there's so many factors, crazy yeah. factors um and being an artist and just like you know like who do you want to be around or right. like you want to travel or like what allows you to interact with people more or like what is is going to be permanent
2: yeah and stand even, the test of time
3: what's well, go going to gonna pay the bills like if you go to a
2: residency or something you're still really at the end of it it's like how am i going to bring all this shit home
0: exactly and like
2: where am i going to put it mm-hmm. when i'm done it's a kind of funny mm-hmm. thing to be in but i wonder too the The idea of doing performance and things like that it seems like uh almost in some senses for a lot of uh younger artists like a 21st century just kind of subconscious problem solving tool to sort of be like you can make your work whether or not you have a studio Mm -hmm. and that you can embody it and you can go do it and things like that and it seems like even if it's not like that's not a uh an uh, an overt political decision or something like that it does have um sort of like an economy to it that i think is kind of smart and is uh Just a different approach than, I mean, like I said, if you can, if you can paint, that's amazing. You have a space that you do it in and things like that. But if for somebody whose brain just works differently, it sometimes it makes sense to be able to be kind of like Mm -hmm. a little more liquid in where you're going to go with stuff. Yeah. Um, And the last thing I wanted to ask about was in that show at Immortal Duck.
3: Is this our last question?
2: Yeah. No. I know. It's okay. (laughs) But. What, Okay, you did a cool interview in AQMB where you talked about Daffy Duck was kind of like a bit of a prompt for you Mm -hmm. for the work that was in that show. And you talked specifically about the elasticity of Daffy Duck in kind of his... Immortality in this, uh, how, I don't know how many episodes it was, but he gets three episodes, three episodes, but he's shot 13 times, yeah, by Elmer like 18 Fudd. times, 18, yeah. okay. And I mean, clearly, I can project some like meaning on why yeah. that like resonated with you, but would you talk about the elasticity of, of the daft man and why, yeah, how you kind of like grabbed onto that cartooning and like, mm-hmm. but what it means in a bigger mm-hmm. thing for you?
3: Yeah, I love Daffy Duck. He's always my favorite Looney Tunes character. Like, I love cartoons. Um, And at that point, I was feeling just connection to childhood or something related, like childhood. And just wanting to make a series of drawings. Um, The way I went about that show was kind of the way I go about performances Knowing that I wanted there to be certain like speed and tempos and different uh levels of uh like workmanship or time that was spent on things. Mm-hmm. So the like the colored pencils drawings were very slow, like agonizingly slow for me, <laughs> like <laughs> so like some like so crazy slow like oh my god after all this work like what if these colors don't even like do what i want them to do (laughs) so that like to me that felt like as risky as as what like performing in front of 300 people would feel like to many many other people but um i knew that i wanted there to be a fast thing and um so i was watching lots of cartoons like looney tunes again and daffy duck is really the clown of the looney tunes bunch like he's the one who like dresses up in these like crazy costumes and uh you know like bugs is the Wise cracking kind of you know he's cool Bugs yeah. is really cool <laughs> Daffy's the one who gets like flustered yeah and concerned but like Daffy has this like persistence and so I was just like feeling Daffy Duck mm-hmm. and and then it just sort of like I I was like oh that's cool like that it that um that that trilogy of cartoons is called the hunting trilogy mm-hmm. has this relationship to other works that I've made in which hunting is a theme. Um, it was kind of another interesting thing that's sort of like emerged. I don't like nobody in my family hunts. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know any, probably know a couple of people who hunt, but like, not like anybody who's like a super close friend or yeah. anything like yeah, that. That
2: one video where you have like the kind of, um, divining rod kind of looking yeah. gun made out of rebar. Or yeah something, And you're dressed sort of like a cowgirl. Yeah. Sort of traversing a alternating winter and
3: spring yeah.
2: landscape. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So now I've started like kind of using hunting in a little more intentional, but like also kind of like flexible way. Um so I mean I knew that there was like that relationship with hunting and then there's also the relationship with like um like guns and gun violence and shootings. Uh, but that wasn't like my entry point. Mm-hmm. That being said, of course, I know that that's like an entry point. Yeah, and yeah. I just, I like that there, you know, I feel like it. it's good to have as many like entry points as possible while still being able to like have a coherent reading of the work. Like I like that. I like making work where it's like you can enter it from these different places, but the whole thing will still make sense. Yeah. yeah. So like with the burger that says rage yeah. on it was kind of, um, it's more of a linguistic decision. Rage burger. Mm-hmm. Like a decision to make this burger that, uh, had the word of an emotion that was very different from the text in the poems. Yeah. But then it was also a question of like, well, what, what word both look looks like, right like graphically looks right like the space, like the number yeah, of yeah. letters and the chunky the yeah
2: good tall rectangle exactly like, thick, like yeah. the literal exact form same. of the letters yeah
3: and also expresses something about burgers right now or like you know as yeah, a- yeah. iconic american yeah. food yeah. and also um <laughs> could also has like a, an element of like my relation. Ship to, because um, there's there was meat and bread in focaccia Town. I don't know if you watched any of that. Yeah, That's an yeah, yeah. operetta that I wrote. So I was like, well, <laughs> like the burger within the cosmology of my work, the burger uh, also it's like this <laughs> word needs to have a relationship to that stuff, and then, um, and then also of course there's like history of artists who like burgers. Of course, yeah, like yeah. Klaus Oldenburg. I'm like, well, someone's gonna want to read. Yeah. Someone's gonna want to read something into like so like f- feminism rage, yeah. Like <laughs> the man. Um, yeah. So so yeah. A bit of like I think like a lot of my work feels like putting together a puzzle, and I like
2: puzzles. It's weird that the I didn't it's think, conceptual. Well, until you just started <laughs> saying so. The funny thing with the um, the hunting thing, uh, corresponding to the burger, is mm-hmm. that um are kind of like good old boy Americana, blah, blah, blah. Like I want my guns, hunter kind of thing or whatever. The, then also like the quintessential food of that Americana is like the burger. But the funny thing is that like literally, I mean, in, in the rare case, like the bison burger or mm-hmm. something. No one is hunting for a burger. That is like, funny. It's That is the Yeah, no one produced, is hunting is, like, cows. The if you are, <laughs> what the fuck? But that's a funny, like weird little flip there. And I, I, I was asking too about the, it's interesting that you talk about all the different entry points to Daffy because obviously those pieces and that relationship. And as I read that interview, of course I'm conjuring my own like cultural perspective mm-hmm. and why I'm looking at a thing a certain way And my brain immediately goes to like, well, that's a white guy with a gun shooting a black body this mm-hmm. many times, you know, cause Daffy is black, right? Mm-hmm. Like his color is black. Mm-hmm. And so there's like that. And that's of course, because of my own cultural conditioning and things like that. And what I'm, Bringing to something feeling this way or that way about like my own relationship with this kind of yeah. like gun violence that i'm seeing and then you're talking about oh well for me it first relates to hunting but there's all these other entry points to mm-hmm. it, and that's like yeah the, there's a lot of layers in that and i'm always interested in work that really does tell you more about yourself than like necessarily what the artist is mm-hmm. not that the work doesn't tell me something about you but like, yeah i'm confronting like my own shit yeah, I Through mean, Daffy Duck. Well, and. Which is like, what the fuck? Yeah,
3: I mean, and that racial imagery is totally there. Yeah. And like, there's like the. All of those, like, you know, Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, mm. and like, I don't think Daffy Duck ever had gloves because he has wings, but it's like the. Whichever like Looney Tunes characters or Disney characters have gloves. It's like, you know, it's like the like, like house slave gloves or uh-huh. whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like for all of that to be there.
2: Because somebody, maybe it wasn't in that interview or something, but you said somebody wrote about it or something and said, I thought it said race burger mm-hmm. or something. When it says yeah, someone
3: thought out. it said race. And I, I knew also that there would be that. Yeah. Uh, I knew there would be that imp- interpretation because the, the bun has the indentation on it yeah. too. And the bun also says rage. But I knew that. You know, there would be people who would look at it quickly and be like, rage, race, which is totally valid.
2: (laughs) You know?
3: I don't know. It's like.
2: No, but it's also like that. It's
3: all subjective. But it's
2: also.
0: It's
2: it's part of your, like, it's clearly part of your, like, sense of humor, though. Yeah. Comedy is that a lot of it has to do with, like, also misdirection and interpretation and the way that things are seen in context and, Mm -hmm. like, audience and. The tough thing with um the tough thing with fixed objects like that is that you can't like do a wink in the right spot mm-hmm. once the work is finished or something. Whereas in live performance you can like totally mm-hmm. cut the tension or like crack a joke when it's not meant to be yeah. there or something. So I can definitely see how somebody who has a history with performance and doing stuff that's like darkly funny, um God, that would scare the shit out of me actually, just put a bunch of things in a room and be like, I hope, I hope you get and, it. I <laughs> <laughs>
1: But
3: that's—I mean—that's honestly like—that's amazing to me when artists can do that with a uh, like 2D and 3D yeah. practice, like funny, in the course of their like life, blows
2: my fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. like
3: yeah. the kind of artist whose, like life or like the whole practice is a performance mm-hmm. is like whoa, that's like next—that's like next level to me. I'm not totally i I feel like that requires some sort of like thing like in the prestige where it's like you have to like sacrifice like who you are to like become this other thing and i don't really know if that's my jam because it's all real it's not real
2: yeah I think, you, um, I, think you, I think you've think <laughs> But I think it. that's I don't, super I don't, cool. I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> well, I lied. I have one more question. Is
3: yes! There, is there anything... Is, it's a is me bonus. Is there
2: anything... Um, I mean, obviously, people go to... The website's lexbrown.com, right? Mm-hmm. It's just your name.
3: Lexbrown.com. Um,
2: go to lexbrown.com. You've got lots of your videos on there. You've got install shots from exhibitions. You've got performance documentation. You've got a link to buy your book, which I think people should buy. It's one of the Badlands Unlimited. Mm-hmm. The New Lovers series. You are one of the first ones right mm-hmm. you're in like the top. number four number four mm-hmm. that's a great number you're the uh the cleanup batter the cleanup batter yeah like in baseball like the fourth oh, nice. the fourth batter in the lineup is always like the best batter because I like, like if the odds of the first three people striking out is yeah. pretty low, but the odds of it being like tenths by the fourth batter. So yeah. like that batter has to be really Sweet. good. So number like four that. in a series. <laughs> um, but So people should buy the book. It's from Badlands, um, My Wet Hot Drone Summer, right? Yes. Yeah. It's racy.
3: It's racy for
2: sure. <laughs> um, but uh, is there anything that you've got coming up that people should keep an eye out for or anything like that? Ye- anything you want to plug?
3: Um let me see i'm like yes but like there's stuff i want to plug but mm-hmm. it's in the works and i'm
2: like it hasn't been confirmed yet so much easier with comedians because they're just like yeah i have six shows this date, this date, this well, date, and then i have a video on adults women are so I, was I, like, I can't really say well i'm doing a performance tonight but <laughs> oh, this will come out sunday <laughs> that's like though. too late yeah
3: um no there's def there's stuff but at this point I'm doing, uh, I'm going to be in residence at recess. Oh, really? Cool. Uh Uh-huh. Nice. From April to June. Word. And I'm going to make a TV show. Hell yeah. So anybody can come and be in my TV show, our TV show. Um, I'm very, very, very excited about that because I've done a lot of filming of myself and like have just started to work with others yeah the only child blossoms (laughs) so that's gonna be really really fun and I can't wait for that so that's I think that's my that's my only plug for now. That's cool though. I can They're... totally send you a voice memo with bonus <laughs> plugs that we can like keep adding to the end of the episode. I'll
2: just go back. I can re, and I can like... keep it on the same RSS feed and just add things so that if anybody in perpetuity, if somebody finds it like two yeah. years from now, you can be like, well, it's two thousand twenty. Yeah, and this December. I'm doing this twenty thing. second
3: bonus plug. Well, I am gonna release two songs that um I recorded in Oslo. Oh, cool. Um excuse me with a musician um named yearn excess and he's amazing and we recorded two songs um we actually recorded like a few songs but i'm releasing two of them this is going to be my first like real release yeah. online and that will be i think in like august cool and yeah i'm very proud nice very proud of of those songs and that recording and yeah, I think that's all the plugs for now. I'm looking forward to. I'm just going to be reading this summer. Yeah, that so good. if anybody has any reading suggestions, oh nice, send them my way. I'm interested in um, food, ooh, in food, politics, economy, science fiction, technology, um, the ocean, <clears throat> astrology, woodworking i'm actually not that interested <laughs> in woodworking at all as much as i'm like everything all the time like yeah woodworking whatever but um cool. yeah
2: well lex thank you so much for coming by thank and doing you this episode uh to everybody out there in listener land we'll catch Woo-hoo. you next week